Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me. Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, same Cindy Adams who harangues you in my column Monday through Thursday, four times a week, every week in the New York Post. And if you're not reading me, I don't know why. You should be. I've been in it for 42 years, so it doesn't look like they're firing me. You are stuck with me. So listen, pay attention. It is now awards season, a great time to catch up on some sleep. P on the Oscars, O on the Golden Globes, but pop goes the National Board of Review. It's the first award program that ever begins, and it always begins in New York early. For two years before the pandemic, it was always early in January. This time, after two years, they're putting it on now. Director Kenneth Branagh, who's up for every award this side of Killarney, he told me, because I went to the National Board of Review the other night, he told me, you know, I'm surprised at the enormous reaction of my movie. I directed Belfast, which was an actual chapter in my life. I directed it from the heart, living through that war in Ireland, which I did, people killing people killing my friends is actually what changed my whole life. Look, its human cost was heavy. Always its human beings are the first to suffer. Like in Ukraine, like what's happening now. You see neighbors, people you love, suffering. The surviving is intense. What must happen instead is dialogue. There must be a sit-down. We have to learn to discuss each side. You have to hear each other's arguments. Find out what their needs are. Put yourself in another's shoes. No other people are different. Attack segregation. It has never been more necessary than it is in our world today. Said Kenneth Branagh, just now as I speak with you, you won't believe it, this just exactly happened now. North Ireland, for a first time in all these years, has only just right now made this a law. A law? What law? I asked. He said, just days ago, North Ireland just put into law for the first time in its history ever that young children may learn in school about integration between Catholics and Protestants. They just did it right now after all these years. Okay, so there were a lot of celebrities schlepping around. Will Smith, everyone figures, is a winner for King Richard. Also in that movie was a lady called Ingenue Ellis. She told me, my role in King Richard 
was not easy to get. I didn't even know Will Smith, one of the world's most famous people, when I came to audition to play the wife. Can you believe I didn't even know who Will Smith was? I wanted the part desperately, but I was nervous. What I knew is they were looking for people much more famous than me. But I got the part. I still know they were looking for people more famous, but I got the part. Okay. This was, as I said, at New York City's National Board of Review, which for years and years before the pandemic was always the first of the annual award show. The party, as always, was at Cipriani on 42nd Street. Zazie Beats from Netflix's The Harder They Fall came in. And as she walked in behind me, a low voice murmured, Hey, I know who she is. I often see her. I see her on the subway. She goes downtown from 116th Street. Okay, I was so busy scribbling that down that I missed Spike Lee, my friend. He slithered right by and didn't even see me. Somebody said, How possibly can the Oscars not show all these artists and people behind the scenes like they've said this year they're not going to do? How can they cut these people out of the main show this year when they, like the hairdresser and the director's assistant, they're the ones who support the whole industry. Without them behind us, we couldn't be on the screen. One answer could have been, because, honey, otherwise the stupid, endless, tiresome, boring Oscars stay stupid, endless, tiresome, and boring, and nobody but you watches them. Stanley Nelson, whom I'd never met before, he directed the documentary Attica, and he explained to me why he did it. He said, look, I knew about this rebellion, and I thought about this story for 30 years. I could never get it out of my head. I knew the untold background of these prisoners. I wanted to tell the story. Okay. Then in came Ilda and Jeanette. I didn't know them from a hole in the ground. They were two unknown beauties, who must have been in the chorus, from West Side Stories movie. I didn't recognize them. They waltzed by in heavily embroidered Naim Khan schmatas, which they said, quote, they go right back to the stylist in the early morning. Yeah, okay. So I asked, well, who, who, who are these two beauties? They're unfamiliar to me. Are they up for some award tonight? I was quickly told, no, absolutely not, N-O, me. So why are they there? Why are they here? They told me, because Disney bought a table and they have to fill it. And that's why these girls were there. Okay. Speaking of awards, President Joe has blubbered that his closest advisor in the world, in his entire life, 
in politics is his wife. Oh, great. United States of America, greatest nation on earth, is actually being run by a senior citizen with straggly, unkempt yellow hair, crappy, cheapo, flower-printed dresses, and living in top-of-the-line, cutting-edge Delaware. And how is that for a keen, razor-sharp thinker to be handling Russia? Okay, okay. So now I want to tell you about a Broadway show. We're going to go into David Mamet, who was a number one playwriter. David Mamet has been on more stages than Shakespeare. Comes now, and pay attention, comes now an effing revival of his 1970 effing smash, the effing terrific American Buffalo. This fabulous play that was on several years ago stars the effing great Emmy and Tony winner Lawrence Fishburne. So here's the point. David Mamet's dialogue is not for a school auditorium nor for the Catholic hour. The man speaks in four-letter words. Some words might have more than four letters. Some start with the letter C. Some start with the letter F. Some the letter S. So Lawrence Fishburne says to me, listen, you get used to it. What you do is you repeat them over and over. You become comfortable with it. You say it and you say it and you say it. There's just three words David Mamet uses repetitively. You get accustomed to that until it's almost fun saying it. Yeah, okay. Do you say those words at home, I asked. No, said Lawrence Fishburne. Not that I'm used to saying all those words repetitively in my own personal life. It is not like I throw them around at home in real life. He said... I became comfortable with this dialogue because I started on the project long ago. We began it two years ago. We were supposed to have opened on Broadway two years ago. So I had all this time to work on it because with Broadway's closing and the pandemic, our opening was delayed to learn all the lines. What I did was I'd memorize a couple of sentences at one time not at a single setting. It was repetition, like take a three-page section, keep saying it over and over until it sticks. I did this alone, not with anyone, by myself. Although this play actually changed the theater, said Lawrence Fishburne, I had never seen this particular project, and it's one I always wanted to do. The guy was born in Georgia, raised in Brooklyn. His first play was in a cramped little theater space downtown. He says, I was 10 years old. He now has two children. He says, my youngest is in high school. My son is in New Orleans. 
He's an actor. Who knows if that's difficult, being the son of Lawrence Fishburne. But it's whatever they want. It is not up to me. He's grown. He's a good guy, my kid. And he's making his bones in this business. Said Lawrence Fishburne, right now, I am here until July. Here is Circle in the Square. The opening is April 14th. And while that is opening on April 14th, I am closing temporarily for a station break. And then I'm right Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay, I am back. I am back. Everyone, including the Grammys, have loved Betty Buckley. Everybody loves Betty Buckley. She has entertained us over 40 years, maybe more than that. That's what I remember. She's been on stage. She's been in films. She's on TV. She's in cabaret. She's in concert. She is now at Joe's Pub, and she was Andrew Lloyd Webber's first original number one Grizabella in the Broadway hit musical Cats. Okay, tell me first about Cats, because it's the most exciting thing I ever saw. How did you get that particular job? Oh, well, I had to audition twice. My first audition, they turned me down, and they told my agent that I... Radi- radiated health and well-being, and they were looking for someone who radiated death and dying. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I told my agent, I said, they'll be back, because I just had this really strong feeling about the role and the show and that it was my turn to do it. And then six months later, they called me back, and I auditioned again, and I sang Memory three times for Trevor Nunn and Andrew and the powers that be, and each time Trevor would say, more suicidal, more suicidal. And finally, by the third time, I was so turned inside out. And so I, I asked him if I could speak to him. And I said, Mr. Nunn, I'm sure by now you've seen everybody in New York and L.A. and all across the country who could possibly play this role. And there are lots of girls who could play it as well as I can, but nobody can do it better. And it's my turn. <laughs> and then he, he looked at me strangely like he thought I'd lost my mind. So I, I was very <laughs> embarrassed and I made my excuses and made my, uh, you know, exit. And the stage manager gave me a thumbs up. And then the rehearsal pianist gave me a thumbs up. And the stage manager said, sometimes we have to represent ourselves. So I called my agent and I told her what I'd said. And she was like, oh, no, you've got to learn to like keep your mouth shut, Betty. And then like a few minutes later, she called me back and she said, they offered you cats. So I, it was really wild, and I was so grateful to get the show. And I learned so much working with Andrew and the wonderful Jillian Lynn and the great Trevor Nunn. It was just amazing. Have you done it again since? No, just for a year and a half in the original company. But I've been singing that song in concert for all, you know, a million years. <laughs> so, but I think of it as the jewel of my collection of songs. 
Okay, tell me about Joe's Pub. You just started this Friday, is that not so? I, no, I opened tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, so it's th- it's tonight. You start tonight, okay. Yeah. So what are you doing? What are you doing? And why, why, why in Joe's Pub particularly? I love Joe's Pub. I have a real history with the public theater and Joe Papp and, you know, done lots of workshops here and, just, you know, we did the Mystery Bedwin Drood workshop here. I love this place, and I was so happy when they put this cabaret venue in, and it's a wonderful room for music. I work with an amazing band of a quartet of jazz musicians headed by the great pianist arranger Christian Jacob, who has scored several of Clint Eastwood's films and has won, you know, seven Grammy nominations. So we've been working together for 12 years, maybe, and have done several albums together. So we have a new collection of songs, some old favorites with um, new arrangements, and then some new material, new songs for me that I've never sung before. And then I'm calling the show Betty Buckley and Friends, and I have some wonderful friends coming in to sing with me. Leanne Cox will be here at every show, a beautiful young singer-actress named Claire Moore is singing back up with me and also um, a, okay. a song on Okay, okay, okay. What you were playing the Carlisle, am I right, when, when everything all shut down, were you not? Yes, exactly. We had a two-week engagement, and the second week was canceled, so we drove home to Texas. So here we are two years later, and we're back in New York trying again. <laughs> Um, What's what was that? What was the difference of playing the Carlisle as as against Joe's Pub? You were there. I remember you sitting there. I was so delighted that you were in the audience. It was great to see you. Um, I love the Carlisle. It's a very intimate room and very elegant. Joe's Pub is more downtown. You know, it's more rock and roll and funky. I love that. You know, I love playing both rooms. So you have to do a different kind of routine, do you not, from the one to the other? I think that's correct. Yeah, we tailor the material uh, to the clientele. Yes. Okay. So tell me, how do singers protect their voice? A long time ago, when I was going to clubs with my husband, Joey, I remember that we gave a ride to a couple of singers who were appearing at hotels like the Concord, and they wanted the windows shut in the car. They wanted no air conditioning in the car. They were protecting their voice. I never knew that they had to do all that. How do you protect your voice? Well, I pretty much always wear a scarf when I'm working, and you drink lots and lots of water, lots of hot tea. Um, try to get enough sleep, vocalize every day, and just try not to overdo it, you know, try not to talk too much. Uh, You have to kind of be really disciplined when you're performing. Okay, but when you're on Broadway and you have to belt, and even though they give you a microphone or in some cases, how does your voice project to the mezzanine? Don't you have to do certain exercises with it? Oh, yeah. I have, you know, I've worked through the years with some of the greatest voice teachers in the business and still do. And they keep me lined up and where I'm supposed to be and watch out for bad habits setting in. And what are the bad habits? What are the bad habits? Oh, just pushing and not not easing back. And like when you use the word belt. I had a teacher for 19 and a half years named Paul Gabbert. And he said, you do not belt. It'll sound to the audience like you're belting, but it's a mixed sound. And he said that you have to take care of your voice. He, he was brilliant. Okay. 
you're doing at Joe's Pub two dozen Sondheim masterpieces. I'm not sure I understand why you're doing mostly Sondheim. Why? Well, that's good that you brought that up, Cindy, because I'm not. I'm only doing two Sondheim songs in this in this show at Joe's Pub. The I think the thing you're referring to is on Friday, Palmetto Records released on streaming online, uh, Betty Buckley sings Stephen Sondheim, which is a compilation recording of all the material of his that I've sung and recorded through the years. And um, we we released that on Friday, or Palmetto Records did, as a tribute to Sondheim, because all of us in the musical theater are so devoted to him and to his memory and to his legacy. So that was my way of honoring him. Okay. Do you ever blow a line? Do you ever forget a lyric? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, tell me, tell yes. me, tell me. Well, one time I was thinking, in fact, um, um, the comedian that I was in the audience, um, oh, well, uh, he was on SNL at the beginning. Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of films. Anyway, um, I was doing a concert and I was singing memory. It was a benefit concert, and I went up in the middle of the song. And memory? Uh, you lost your memory on memory? Yeah, and I literally said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry. I've been singing the song memory for a long time, but it <laughs> seems that I've lost mine. <laughs> so, yeah, that can happen. So what happens? Do you go back to the beginning of the number or what? How do you survive? Well, I, yeah, sometimes I go back, but in the case of that, in that case, the band just kept playing on the same <laughs> chord until I remembered the word. Okay, okay. You've got awards. Where are they? Uh, my Tony Award is on the on the top of my piano uh, for inspiration when I'm practicing, and um, uh, the others are uh, kind of on my bookcases and. Uh, in my dining room, there's some awards that are made of crystal and stuff, so they look pretty there. So yeah. And what, do you ever clean them or dust them or what do you? I oh, mean, I would lick them if I had any. <laughs> That's good. That's okay. good. Tell me what happened to you, Betty, when the pandemic shut down. Uh, well, we drove home to Texas. Yeah. Uh, my assistant and I, who's worked with me for many, many years. And uh, we both got COVID. Um, we heard on set, we got home on Friday afternoon after a three-day drive. And um, our my lung doctor, who we'd both gone to see while we were in New York, called me on Sunday night and said, I'm sorry, but I've exposed you to COVID. <laughs> and so then we were both, we were both really sick. The irony of that just kills me. We were both really sick for a couple of weeks. And um, then, you know, so we thought we were safe from that. And then... I got sick again in uh, December of 2019, and um, yeah, and but I've been vaccinated at this point four times. Okay. Have you been to Broadway since? Have you gone to any of the big glamorous openings or any of the musicals? Yes, yes. I went to the uh, really glamorous opening night of Company. Yeah. Oh, I I wanted to tell you, Cindy. So Bill Murray was at that concert where I forgot my the lyrics to memory. <laughs> he came up to me afterwards and he goes, "That is so funny. Did you do that on purpose?" And I said, "No." And uh, he said, "He said I'm going to use that. Is that okay?" And I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> what was he going to use? Use what? That line. I'm I'm singing memory and I forgot. 
Oh, I get it. Okay. But he'd have to be singing memory to do it. Yes, exactly. Okay. (laughs) So the difficulties of doing big songs every night on Broadway. Do you take hot tea, warm Coca-Cola? Do you uh, warm Coke? Do you, what do you do to protect? Because I just don't know how you can do it every single night and hit the notes. I steam that you get, they have these little personal steamers that you can use. And, um, I drink again, lots of water, always a lot of hot tea. Um, yeah. And then you just try to be quiet. Oh, well, that's not going to be easy for you. I don't think you're going to be quiet. What about a heckler? Do you get them if you're working in a pub? I have from time to time. One night I was working at the Feinstein's at the Regency, and we held the show for something like 45 minutes. And it turns out these two guys come driving up in a Range Rover with these two very glamorous women, and they were like from the mob or something, and they sat right on the front row <laughs> okay. Of, okay. of Feinstein's, and they were very scary looking. And um, I, I, you know, was like talking to the audience and stuff, and I mentioned something about that I'd sold my, I sold my BMW and bought a Ford truck when I went to uh, move to Texas to live on a ranch, and he goes, why would you do that? Right, out loud, and I said, <laughs> it was really funny. I was like, well, I live on a ranch. I needed a truck. He said, why didn't you keep your Beamer? <laughs> it was really, really funny. It was okay, funny. Betty Buckley, go back to your rehearsal. I know you came out just to talk to me. I love you. I'll be seeing you at Joe's Pub. Thank you, sweetie. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Cindy. Right. Bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm back. I'm back. You can't get rid of me. I'm back. Friday, which is today, March 18th, happens to be World Sleep Day. Whatever all that means. I haven't the faintest idea. It hasn't come up in conversation before, so I don't know what the hell I'm even talking about. I never knew about it before. I probably slept through the explanation. Anyway, tonight, quote, the quest for sleep, which is the name of a documentary, will premiere at downtown's SVA Theater. S like Sam, V like Victory, A America. That's the name of the theater. It's the SVA Theater. It's downtown. This documentary on sleep will follow insomniacs. So forget sheep. Forget even listening to me. Watch the film. Maybe it'll help you sleep. I'm just telling you what I'm telling you, okay? I got other things now. Now I would like to tell you about the automat. The automat, in case anybody is under 15 years old, was a famous foodery of the 60s and 70s. Everything closed. However, it might be coming back. Its prices, however, will not. The Automat was a self-service, coin-operated, no waiting, no tipping, no waiters, no reservations. A cashier made change for nickels, dimes, quarters. The menu, oh, forget it. It wasn't for a wedding or a bar mitzvah. We're talking... Mac and cheese, Salisbury steak, baked beans, smashed potatoes, creamed spinach soup sandwiches, really crappy lemon meringue pie, and two nickels for a cup of coffee. 
It was operated by an organization called Horn and Hardart. The last one was 42nd and 3rd, and it folded in 1991. The cut-cost operation was food behind little glass doors that were ringed with metal. You stick coins in the slot, you remove your choice, servers behind the walls, hidden, kept the selections refilled. Everybody went to the cockamamie automat. There was nobody who didn't go. In those years, radio's big name with a terrific radio show was comedian Jack Benny. In the 60s, he threw a star-studded gala at one of these crappy automats with big-time people, and there were its wooden tables with scratches, nicks, wooden chairs which hobbled and bobbled, paper crumpled up napkins, bus your own dishes, and buy it all with your pocket change. Cheapo fast food only. The invitation to that party was black tie only. Jack Benny invited only the biggest. The guests were like Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck, Jimmy Stewart, John D. Rockefeller Jr., Jean Harlow, Veronica Lake, Jean Kelly. I know. I was nobody then. I was only the wife of comedian Joey Adams, who was then president of the theatrical union AGVA. AGVA was the American Guild of Variety Artists. So I knew all of this. Why? Because of Joey, I was there as his wife. Jack Benny gave us each, as we arrived in black tie and long gowns, he gave each of us a paper roll of coins. It was strictly help yourself. Pick your own dinner, put it in the slot, carry the food, schlep it to whatever cockamamie rickety table was available, and bus your dishes yourself. There is now, the reason for bringing this up, is there is now a documentary in theaters about the horn and hard art chain. This bite into America of yesterday was loved by big people like Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Colin Powell, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks. Our economic turndown has begun talk about bringing back the automat. It was cheap food. There were no waitresses. There were no waiters. There were no busboys. There was no maitre d'. There was no cook. The only difference now, if it opens, might be that lemon meringue pie. Oh, do I remember it? It would still be crappy. But now, today, it might end up costing more than a dime. Okay. Speaking of crappy, I'm going to mention something about Putin. Putin, his poop alone has gone to the dogs. Even four-legged animals have reacted to the Ukraine horror. The American Kennel Club 
is 146 years old. It is so in demand that the AKC allows only 2,500 entrants, even though the world all over wants its dog's representative. It just decreed its annual contest parading this planet's best of breeds and champions will not have at the American Kennel Club the usual amount of dogs. It will not parade this planet's best of breeds and champions because it will no longer accept any entries, neither hounds nor judges, from Russia. February's annual televised event, which has been postponed due to the pandemic, will be held in June without any Russian dogs. Now, speaking of dogs, which I really shouldn't do, brings me into our wonderful new mayor, a note about him. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but what the hell I'm saying it. He has ruled that people convicted of pot related crimes may now be first in line to sell marijuana. Isn't that great? He has been in office just a short time, and this is his first and only ruling. I think that that's wonderful. However, homelessness, crime, filth, garbage, police in jeopardy, residents moving out, affordable housing, subways, high prices, places closed, food problems, traffic congestion, cost of living, all of that is forget it. Now at a party in front of cameras, he says he is a mayor of all New York City, including its nightlife. He wants to be a mayor of New York City's nightlife. Are we lucky or what? I'll be right back. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. So election day is coming. We have to forget the political types who belong on parole, that's most of our people, or are an extension of the Bronx Zoo for who are the rest of our people. We have to know we are Americans. We are in the United States of America, where a person is still allowed to vote. And we, who vote, also have the divine right to kvetch. So, when Kamala Harris was debating Pence, she didn't do anything besides scowl. This is our vice president. She mentioning Lincoln's refusal to fill a chief Justin. I'm stuttering. I'm starting the, this sentence again. Mentioning Lincoln's refusal to fill a chief justice vacancy just before his 1864 re-election Harris said Lincoln thought the voters should be the ones to decide. Wrong. The historical fact, as written in the history books, is 
that fearing his ambitious opponent, President Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln acted pragmatically. He promised his rival that he, President Abraham Lincoln, would guarantee this radical Republican could instead fill the vacancy of their recently gone Chief Justice, whose name was Samuel Chase, and who thus immediately dropped off the presidential race, and he got appointed Chief Justice right after Honest Abe won. Kamala, honey, get things correct. Our Constitution requires census every ten years. Federal aid and representation in Congress depends on population. New York must provide medical services for illegals, but no federal assistance if not counted in the census. New York's GOP's muscle has disintegrated. Districts can be gerrymandered, meaning another 10 years before shedding a Democratic-controlled Congress. The GOP is hoping devotees vote for all Republican candidates. The donkey Democrats are hoping Joe Biden doesn't make an ass of himself. Uh, if you don't like my open mouth, it's your right. I didn't always favor whoever was our commander-in-chief either. Look, Biden is a nice man. We elected him. Nothing against him or his wife's non-fitting wardrobe. It's just that I have lived through years of difficulty. My husband and my mother were the same age. They both suffered dementia. I took care of them both. I saw them age. I saw them start slow. Then I had to take care of them and know that they didn't even know who I was anymore. But I am still here, and so is New York. Maybe it's because of our war. Maybe it's because of our lives. Maybe it's because of Russia. But now, defensive armor has made its way to the fashion runway. Military headgear, originally worn by 17th century soldiers, shot onto the catwalk this winter. It was protective breastplates and shields that hit Paris Fashion Week via Balmain. Some is from Espeto, that's Abbas Haider's 007 style first bullet resistant clothing line, if you ever heard of something like that. He is now communicating with the Department of State to provide real-time protective equipment. That means armor, plate carriers, ballistic goggles, shields, and medical kits for our soldiers, and he tried it out on the Paris fashion runway. Being defensive is becoming today's current position. Andrew Cuomo and Christie, Chris Christie, 
were lunching together at Fresco by Scotto. The fact that they were lunching together was reported even before their dessert was served. Everybody knew it. It was probably written on foggy windshields. That's how excited they were to get that news out. Cuomo has been organizing meals for himself everywhere. Plus, he's also first sniffing around to see who will come along, like our Mayor Eric Adams, who came along. It was not a heavy lift to get Eric Adams, because this mayor pants for publicity. To redeem his image, Cuomo's new ad campaign needs for him to be seen out and about. He's frequently frequenting only friendly restaurants. Friendly restaurants he has long been known to go to and who cater to him. He now is arranging in advance a warm welcome for himself before he arrives. The welcome is with some not-so-random, well-placed supporters, old friends who just happen to be there at the precise time to greet him. Trust mother, additional sightings are now being planned. Everybody's into election mode. Just last week at the Garden City Hotel, Andrew Giuliani pitched for the Republican nomination for governor. With him was Curtis Slewa and Daddy Rudy. As expected, Zeldin got the nod. Taking their shot was Westchester County's Astorino and late-entry millionaire Wilson. The primary is in June. Okay, so now I want to tell you about more news. This is a little bit old news. After narcissistic demagogue Hitler burned down the Reichstag, it housed the German Congress, still a main building. He burnt it to the ground, and thus began his course of sedition and insurrection. That specific destruction gave Hitler's Nazi party the excuse to take power against those who were denying him. It's happening again. Thus began his course of sedition and insurrection. One day after, Hitler enacted executive orders eliminating all opposition, and that began his merciless purge of political enemies, areas, and countries. And pay attention, the very next month, Adolf Hitler opened Dachau, his first concentration camp. The book he wrote, Mein Kampf, actually admitted that the Reichstag, that burning, helped to frighten and divide the German people and helped him be able to be the conqueror. Putin, people have asked, is he Marxist or communist? He's neither. He's a fascist, a murdering dictator feeding his ambition. 
he is following the route of Adolf Hitler. A dictator's hunger is never satisfied. Hitler's justification, Bolshevik Jews, a threat to Christian Aryans, made as much sense as Putin invading Ukraine. In the 30s, Adolf Hitler fought Leningrad, the same way Putin destroys Ukraine cities. First you shell it, then you surround it, next you starve it. Hungry people in those days consumed pigeons, household rats. There was actual cannibalism. Furniture, clothes, books were burned for warmth. Ration cards brought theft and murder. In 1932, when the Ukraine did not fulfill Stalin's need for grain, Stalin shipped 50,000 Ukrainians to Siberia. The estimate was 4 million deaths. January 27, 1944, after nearly 900 days, Leningrad, where Putin's small brother was killed, Leningrad saw freedom. The Nazis had killed 800,000 civilians. Germany agreed to give certain conquered nations over to the Soviet Union. As Stalin toasted Hitler with Crimean wine after signing that pact, one million Germans crossed into Poland. Putin has now claimed Ukraine should be grateful to Russia for liberating the Nazis. He has obviously forgotten history. The G7 countries, that's U.S., U.K., France, Italy, Germany, Canada, Japan, they meet annually. They alternate hosting. Last year, they were in England. Come June 2022, this year, it will be Schloss Elmau, that's in Germany, Bavaria. In 2015, Obama, Merkel, Cameron, and company, and the rest of them, they all met there. This time is the first time for a second time. They're going to the same place a second time. Why? The Alps location affords complete security. It opened in 1916. It was Germany's cultural retreat. Schloss Elmau became a World War II rest home for wounded officers, later a refuge for Holocaust survivors. The grandson of its founder has since added a concert hall and a two-star Michelin restaurant and eight spas, enough suites to bed even a sleepy Martian. Plus, he added, seven outdoor 95-degree pools. One is exclusively for naked bathing. If Joe Biden splashes in it, 
who would know? Because who would look? Okay, I'm going off war. I'm going into something called glamour. Apologies to Miss Kardashian, the soon-to-be ex-Madam West, or formerly Mrs. Ye, or whatever she's called. Who knows? Who cares? To me, her current adored temp, Pete Davidson, has the sex appeal of a frog in heat. And I don't care what she in return will end up calling me, because I'm correct. He is now buying into the Pebble Bar. That used to be a joint called Hurley's, and it is and was at 30 Rock. Listen, he's not the first NBC guy who was looking to own this joint. Back in the day, Tom Snyder's longtime producer, a guy called Michael Horowitz, remembers when the Tomorrow Show host, Snyder, and weatherman Frank Field agreed to buy Hurley's for $50,000. Late 1970, the night before the deal, Snyder tracked Field in the hallway with, Listen, are we nuts? What the hell are we doing? We're going to buy a bar? We're stupid. We don't know nothing about running a bar. So they backed out. Then in those days, it was only to be $50,000 for the whole joint. Its price now? Ah, who knows? For sure, it cost more than the butt filler inside Kim Kardashian. Before I say goodnight, I just want to tell you that continuing my zeal to deliver cutting-edge, top-of-the-line, first-time information. Word is that what's left of our former delivery service by regular mail, snail mail, it has now become too slow. People are complaining. The Postmaster General has sent New York City's main office a letter of complaint. He says this has to stop. And as soon as the mail from him arrives, like in two or three months or so, all hell will break loose. And now so will I. I love you. I will be back next Sunday at the same time for one hour, one o'clock to two. Thank you for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.